actually because we did Christmas shopping yesterday. Did you? Yeah. I've just bought like a couple. Yeah, in, I just bought two for Thomas and one for Danny. Yeah. It. Like I bought something for mum, I think, and I bought something for Andrew, which I won't say what it is while he listens to this, but um I bought a chain of present, but then I gave it to him yesterday. Why do you do that? It, so it arrived in the mail. <laughs> I just hide them. I didn't want to hide it. As soon as it arrived, I was like, I'm giving it to him now. I wrapped it up and then I gave it to him. And oh, I wrote him a card. Cute. And then I gave it to him. <laughs> I sent Shane a link to something he should get you for Christmas. So oh, I really? hope he does. Yeah. I doubt it. Hello, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Quite well. I'm good because there is a new president of the United States, or a president-elect. Yes. That's that's dating us when we're recording this, but it's exciting. It's it's happened today, so I know that you are listening and you're like, God, that was so two weeks ago. Yeah. It's it's happened today. Today, finally, Pennsylvania was called and it's very exciting. I'm actually glad that we're recording the podcast after that's been called. It would have been a very different episode if we'd recorded it on Thursday when we normally record. Full of just not not anxiety because I knew what was going to happen. You know, within like we knew that it was going to be him. Yeah, we just wanted it to be just on edge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just feel very differently about the world now. Yeah, same. <sighs> fucking fingers crossed, man. God, <laughs> anyway. Man. Well, how much could they really fuck it up more? Yeah, let's hope. <gasps> Don't say that. Um, Touch wood. This is my favourite musical. Yeah, hello and welcome to my favourite musical, The Political Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if, that's, if that, it was a specific podcast only about political shows <laughs> and it was like after like four episodes. It's just us talking about 1776. Yeah, assassins, <laughs> Hamilton, Hamilton, and then we're pretty much done. Yeah. Oh, Les Mis. No, this, yeah, Les Mis. you're right. Like we could definitely stretch the... Oh, we could stretch it. Pretty much every musical has politics in it, to be fair. The 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee? <laughs> it's just about procedure. Like yeah, we just do one like, that's on like competitions yeah, and, and like there's, it, process. There's, yeah, there's like there's counties and yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, it's a special uh, episode, isn't it? It is. But firstly, that's Ruth. Oh, yeah, that's Josephine. And we are your hosts. Yeah, and um, to be clear, we talk about just normal musicals. Yeah, sorry. This <laughs> Not isn't a political, political podcast. Yeah, and so today is a special episode. It's our 30th episode. Yeah, and because in the tradition zero. of things that we've never done before, <laughs> we've decided that every 10 episodes we are going to cover a bit of a blockbuster. Yeah, and also like some of the shows that we wouldn't necessarily pick for ourselves yeah. um, over other shows, but sort of to A, there's a lot of research to be done on these blockbuster shows, mm. obviously, but B, yeah, it means like we can cover them together, discuss you know, what we love and what we don't love about them. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's our plan. Every big round number episode yes. we're going to do a big show together. That's right. And yeah. so I, I think they know that this episode is going to be Phantom of the Opera. That's right. A big one. A big one. Yeah, that's oh. a pretty famous show. Isn't it? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, anyway, we'll get to that. Do you have any apologies today? I don't. Nor do I. No. Let's carry on with our lives. Um, I would like you to do your spotlight first. Okay. Because mine is related. Oh, God, I hope I've done the right thing then. I hope so too. Because <laughs> I've been a little bit out of it this week. Yeah, you had I've the stomach flu. Our, yeah, I've forgotten Awful. most of our conversations. <laughs> okay, today for our spotlight, so for those who are just joining us, uh, we like to highlight and amplify uh, people uh, from minorities yeah. in theatre. Yep. Doing stuff in yep. theatre. 
So today I want to talk about Norm Lewis. Yes. Yeah, I do. In keeping with the theme of our episode, I want to talk to you about this absolute 10 of a man. Isn't he though? Yeah. I love him so much. Oh, we've actually mooned over him a lot here yeah. before. So I think I talked about him quite a bit in the New Brain episode and the Little Mermaid episode. Yeah. I was trying to think when else we may have talked about well, him. Well, actually, you know, it's funny. I only did a Once on this Island a couple of weeks ago. I don't think we mentioned him, but he no. was a replacement in that Broadway yeah. revival. Yeah. Well, of course, in my research of him this week, he's just been in everything. Yeah. Like, he's highly credentialed. So Norm Lewis was the first black phantom on Broadway and one of the first black men to portray Javert and Les Mis. Yes. He his Broadway debut was actually in The Who's Tommy in 1993 and like I said since then his list of credits pretty much includes like every dream baritone role you can imagine. I mean he's probably my favourite baritone. His voice is just so delicious. So delicious. And it's so recognisable too but not in a way that you're like oh there's Norm. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Yes. The resonance that he's able to create. Did we talk about him in a new brain? Yeah I just said that. Oh yeah sorry. Are you listening to me? (laughs) I'm sorry. Jesus. (laughs) I was just thinking about him singing in a new brain and just yeah. yeah. Well, no, we did talk about him then. Yes. But he wasn't He wasn't in that cast. Do you remember talking about that, how he was like yes, brought in right. for the recording? And, I yeah. had forgotten that, yeah. I know. He's a bit like Ty Taylor in um, Songs for a New World. Yeah. So I wanted to make mention as well of the fact that Norm Lewis is just a working black actor at the absolute height of his game. Yeah. And I think as I was sort of meditating on the way that we've been approaching the spotlight, what I loved about talking about Norm this week is that he um, he is definitely involved in in activism and mm. Black Lives Matter and sort of amplifying BIPOC in theatre, but also like I just want to talk about him as an actor. Like yeah. I don't, I, we don't necessarily need to talk about his activism. Yes, or like he doesn't need to be just about his race yeah. or you know his ethnicity. So I think it's just important to say Norm Lewis is an incredibly talented actor at the height of his yeah. you know at the height of 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 the of he his career. He is an A list. Yeah, A list. He's a top. Yeah. Total top of his game. He's just doing awesome stuff um, while also being uh, an African-American man. Yeah. And it's just, it's just great to have a person like that just out there working so consistently. Yeah. Yeah. He also just seems to be a total sweetheart. Like when I've seen yes. him interviewed and everything, I'm just like, yeah. what an amazing person. He really does seem like that. I think he's done quite a bit of television too. Yeah, like, like you see him scandal, pop up. right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And you see him pop up like he's on The Good Wife a bit yeah. and maybe even The Good Fight. I can't remember because they're blending together a bit in my head. But those kind of like New York-based yes. television shows. Where all the other Broadway he'll actors often, are. Yeah, he'll often get like a several episode arc yeah, on nice. one of those kind well, of things. Well, he's just like he's quite commanding. He's got this great yeah. presence and that beautiful voice because his speaking voice is also really yeah, lovely. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. No, I just love him. Awesome. So there's Norm Lewis. So mine is somewhat related. Tell me. I'm going to talk to you about Kyle Jean-Baptiste, <gasps> oh, who was no. the, yeah, it's it's both, uh, it is a sad story. I'm just going to preface it by saying that. Yeah. But um, the reason it's related is that he was the first ever black man to play Jean Valjean. Yeah. Um, so he and was so young. Yeah. He was playing uh, the Constable and Corferac in the Broadway revival of Les Mis in 2015, which was his Broadway debut, <laughs> and he was also an understudy for Jean Valjean in that cast. Um, on July 23rd, 2015, at the age of 21, so young, so young, he became both the first ever black man to play Jean Valjean and the youngest ever person well, to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he went on a few times as Jean Valjean between then and August 28th, 2015, which is, which is his final performance in the show. Um, so 
uh, my understanding is he was he left because he was due to join the Broadway revival of The Color Purple later yes. that year. Um, so only one day after his final performance in Les Mis on August 29th, 2015, in a just tragic accident freak. at home. Yeah, freak tragic accident. He fell from his fire escape in Brooklyn and was killed. It was and like four yeah. stories, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and yeah. It, I read that it was it was actually not where they normally lived. It was like another apartment yeah, building. So he had like fire, fire damage. damage at his own like family's apartment. Yeah, so, they so they were in they a different apartment. Yeah. So it was just, yeah, like forced, like, yeah, freak accident. He fell from this fire escape yeah. and was killed. It was Completely only 21. Completely tragic. It's so sad. It's just so imagine sad. how talented he had to have been for his Broadway debut to include an understudy of yeah. Jean Valjean. He was straight out of college. Like that's just – and to be yeah. so young and play that role I on know. Broadway is really – Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Like I, I, you just think like what big things he would I have know. gone on to do. It's awful. It's such a tragedy. Um, So it's like since his death, scholarships have been set up in his, in his name at his elementary school, his high school and his college. Do you want um, to say his name again? Yeah, Carl Jean-Baptiste was his mm. name. Um, Yeah, and he was 21. It's so sad. But also like a history-making performer. Yes. And for it to be so soon after as well. I know, like it's the day just, after. Uh, it's just like yeah. so dramatic and awful. And, yeah, yeah, awful. Anyway, but, yeah, that's him. He's amazing. That was a good spotlight. Thank you. Thanks, Ruth. Uh, now we move on to Theatre Explained. We do. And my topic today is the cyclorama and the scrim. Yes. Do you want to tell us about it or do you want me to? You start and I'll add okay. some stuff if I need to. All right, so I'm just going to wing it a bit. Basically in theatre, like we have a, a, a whole lot of different fabrics for different purposes and in most proscenium arch theatres they have a fly system where you can like fly in curtains or scenery or pieces of fabric for different purposes. Yeah. And so a scrim is a particular type of weave of fabric. Yeah. So I didn't it, actually know that until oh, I was doing the research for yeah, this. Right. Yeah, right. Well, it's really important. Like the weave is super important. Yeah, it's called and the, Shark's Tooth Scrim. That's right. Yeah. And so like I'll actually talk about cyclorama first. So cyclorama is sort of different in photography circles than it is in theatre but mm. generally the cyclorama is like a really tight weave fabric yeah. that light can't really go through like it can't absorb light yeah. so it's really good for projecting things onto or like yep. having so you could have usually you have the cyclorama at the back of the yes. theatre so it's not, so it's up against like a wall and it's sort of the furthest fly away from the audience so that you can then project like scenery onto it or you could use it as like a, a really sort of opaque white background. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the cyclorama is white and the scrim is generally black and, yeah, that really sort of loose weave fabric and it's generally like in the middle or towards the front of the theatre yeah. so that when – of the stage, sorry, so that when it comes down, depending on where the light is, it can be either opaque or it can or be not. sort of yeah. semi-transparent. Yeah. What did you uh, yeah. have for it? Well, and the only other thing I was just going to say that – you know, you might be wondering then like what a backdrop is mm. in comparison. So like that's the other sort of term yeah. that gets used, which is just literally a generic term for like something that is behind something else. Yeah, like, just it could be anything. Yeah. And it, like a cyclorama could be a backdrop. Yeah, and like it could be made of literally any material. It could be muslin, like whatever. It could be painted or digitally printed. Yeah, like, it, it could even it be like, all those things. like timber. It yeah, could be that's like right. pieces of set that it are brought It could be pleated the... material. It yeah. could be, yeah. So um, I just sort of felt like that kind of – Wound in, and we often call the cyclorama a psych. Yeah, in theatre, right? Yeah, that's right. Shortened to psych. Um, the scrim is really cool. You've probably seen it, like in any in lots of theatre, because it's really like you can if you light it right, you won't see through it at all. Yeah. So I can't. I think it's if you backlight it, then 
you don't see or you can see through it like in sort of you see shadows yeah. then. So it's a really cool – it's just a cool way of creating yeah. sort of different, yeah. different effects in theatre. Yeah, it's cool. I, yeah, I had no idea that – yeah, but the, the, the biggest thing I found out was that the scrim was that specific sort of netting. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, that isn't it? That didn't – like it just didn't really occur to me. I just sort of thought it was a, like a title that we gave to that type of ah, – yeah, yeah, no. And like – the cyclorama, so at the moment, like at school, I, I'm trying to campaign to get a cyclorama in our theatre. Okay. They're so expensive because of the type of fabric. Like it's really, and it's hard to find fabric that doesn't absorb like all the light from yeah. the image. So to create a really sharp image, you have to have a really like opaque, um, tightly woven surface. Yeah. So even like some painted walls, like for example, really absorb a lot of light. Mm. So you have to have sort of the right thing to project onto. I find all that stuff fascinating. It I wish really I knew more about theatre lighting and stuff like that. Vision and lighting and they're probably the fields that are sort of like um, really technologically advancing, particularly vision. So we Mm. call it vision if it's like the projections and things like that and that's becoming a lot more common in scenery so we don't have necessarily like um, actual representations of set now. A lot of it or it's not necessarily painted on, it might be projected on. And we have ways now because a lot of you may may remember from like school if you've ever seen a projector and if you walk in front of it, it might obscure the image but we can now like rear project or you can project from different places where the actors won't actually Yes. interfere yeah but to come up with like an image that the lighting doesn't interact with the vision is actually really difficult mm, that's right so it's pretty amazing yeah like it's an art yeah it really is yeah. yeah and it's one of those things you often don't you sort of think if you don't know a lot about lighting and that sort of thing yeah, you, you sort of think, think like, one oh, thing yeah. is going to happen and then you sort of try it and you're like oh no yeah that's right <laughs> yeah it's and like if we, we can talk about it in another episode maybe but when you get into like color additive like mixing mm. when you talk about like how they used to create colors in lights. Obviously now we have a lot of LED lights that you can just like change color at the, yeah. you know, at the press of a button. But yeah. it, it's really like quite a full on, if you dig down into yeah. lighting particularly, it's pretty full on. Yeah. But um, Very that's cool. a topic for another day. Awesome. And now we go to our recommendations. Ruth, take us away. Okay. I have themed mine to Phantom this week. So have I. Excellent. <laughs> So I've actually got four. <laughs> That's good. That'll make up for the one that okay. I have. <laughs> so um, we mentioned literally in the middle of our wicked discussion last week, we mentioned that. Was it a discussion? Was it, it a disagreement? It was an argument. <laughs> <laughs> um, we mentioned that there was on an ep- the episode, the current that current episode of the podcast This American Life, the radio show This American Life, that one of the segments was on the Broadway Orchestra of Phantom. Yes. And how there's like lots of members that have been in there since Phantom opened. It's such a good segment. Yeah, it's really really good. So I've linked specifically just on to, to the website just of that 22 minute oh, that's segment. Clever. Yeah. I didn't so, know you could do um, that. Cuz on the website they have them broken down into the sections. Yeah. So I've just linked to that segment on the This American Life They're website. They're called acts in This that's American right, Life. That's right, they are. Yeah. That's right. Hmm. Um and the next one I think we may have even mentioned on this podcast before but um Lindsay Ellis who we love and yes. um she hosts um what's their m- musical splaining Yeah, musical splaining. Musical splaining her podcast which is excellent. You always get that title I know wrong. I always got to call it musical splains and I don't know why yeah, anyway. Um but she does these video essays on YouTube that's what she's famous for like yeah. she's that's she's very well known on YouTube and um Watch the cats one. But anyway. Kat's one is excellent. <laughs> so I'm linking to her one. It's called Joel Schumacher's Phantom of the Opera, a video essay. Now, Phantom is her favourite, favourite musical. Like yeah. she went to Phantom of the Opera on Broadway for her like hen's night, like when she got married. Like, Imagine it is... being one of her bridesmaids and that's your Well, night. I think it was only the ones that loved, like she knows them from like 
the phantom fan community oh kind of God. thing. Like that's. Did you know they're called phantoms with a PH? Oh, are you kidding? Of course I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I make merchandise for that show. <laughs> of course I knew that. You're not a phantom, are you? <laughs> a fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not like they are. No. no, they are very dedicated, and I appreciate it for our company's business. Well, yeah, for revenue. Um, but yeah, it's just basically like her deconstruction of the film, mm-hmm. and it's excellent. I think it's about forty minutes or an hour long. I think it's a little bit biased. <laughs> like it, a, for it or against it? Well, no, like I. No, that's probably true. She's quite balanced in that video. Yeah, in that one, she is. The way that she feels about Phantom is not necessarily rational. No, <laughs> it's a bit like how I feel about Rent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next one I'm going to link to is a video of from the also from the film when they're rehearsing Prima Donna, the song Prima Donna, yeah, cool. and it's Patrick Wilson who played who Raul in love. the film, who is by far the best part of the film. The only good thing in the You're film. You're right, <laughs> uh, and I think he's an incredibly talented, um, such a chameleon, pers- got such a beautiful voice. He does, yeah. Um, and it's literally just like as they're rehearsing, like his little part in Prima Donna, and he just like kind of casually hits a B or a B flat or whatever it yeah. is, like it's high, while he's just kind of like he's such a bro and he's like Isn't flipping he just, pages, like, leaning up against the piano. Yeah, it's like, like so casual. It's like a f- not even. 30 second clip anyway I'm linking to that on YouTube I've actually watched that way too many times me too I'm obsessed he's also very hot so attractive (sighs) and he's quite young there as well so Mm -hmm. he's like even hotter um and then (laughs) the last one is this documentary which I I'm guessing maybe was made for the DVD release oh I was gonna say it's made for the DVD release of the um of the film but there's there's no mention of the film so maybe not but it's called behind the mask and it's from 2005 oh yeah i've seen that and it's on youtube um i think it's about an hour and 20 hour and 30 something like that but maybe it was just made for tv but anyway it's on it's all on youtube it's quite interesting yeah i watched it this week but if you love phantom and you haven't seen it it's worth watching those are my phantom recommendations nice i have one okay um well, even just generally, before I go into my recommendations, because of this week, this is the, obviously we're all watching content about the US election and it's been such good fodder for meme makers. I just want to send out a little thank you for the amazing content this oh. week to the people of the internet. We the memes you. have been The insane. memes have been incredible. <laughs> so not a recommendation, but you should follow either Ruth or I on Instagram <laughs> because we repost other people's hilarious things all the I time. I am at Curtain Bounce. <laughs> And Josephine is at Josephine in her flying machine and there's underscores yeah, there's between underscores each there. word. Mine's private, so you'll have to request. Oh, interesting. Mine's not. <laughs> I have to be. I'm a teacher. Oh, true. Um, my recommendation is mainly for lols. Okay. In my research this week of everything Phantom, I found some pretty fucking funny stuff. Yeah. Like, really, my favourite one that I want everyone to watch is the video of the four Phantoms with Sarah Brightman. And the reason I'm recommending it is because it's the worst idea anyone has ever had. <laughs> And it's very poorly executed and uh, it's a piece of shit. Oh, no. It even includes my sweet Con Wilkinson and I still think it's trash. Yeah. And it's got Anthony Wallow in it too and it's That's still right. fucking the worst thing ever. I watched it twice last night and Shane came in and he was like, what is that? Why am I hearing this? <laughs> and I'm like, look at this, Shane. Look at this travesty. It was, it's a disgrace. It's just that it's a bit of a mess, right? It's a total mess and it's just like none of the people on stage should be there uh, doing what they're doing. And yeah, I think there are certain. 
I think that there was something specific about that um, bring him home quartet yeah, that, that worked. works. Yes. Um, partly so just because about... they put that key change in yes. and maybe those four gentlemen were just a, like a little bit better at blending <clears throat> than like the men who were playing the Phantom. Yeah, what's interesting is that one of those men is the same. Like yeah. there's a crossover man and still it didn't work. Yeah. And like so what we're talking about is that the the 25th, the both but they, 25th but I mean, they basically took four. the idea from the lame is 25th. That's right. For the yeah. lame is 25th, they did like a his four Jean Valjeans and they're going to sing Bring Him Home in a Beautiful Quartet. But what they did for Phantom was they just did the Phantom of the Opera, the song, made no changes to it. They all just sang over the top of each other. That's right. Like, and then and Sarah Brightman having to do. Weird, yeah, it was just weird having like four Phantoms weirdly like looming over yeah. Sarah Brightman. It yeah. was awful. One of the Phantoms is also pretty bad. He was like. I think he's the Swedish one. Oh, that guy, yeah, yeah. Just is Ramin young. the other one? No. Oh, that's weird. Ramin comes in because he is like at oh, the do very they do, end. Do they stick a do they stick a key change? I haven't watched it in years. That no, clip. he just like comes in and he's wearing his costume and like weirdly sort of like looms over oh, her shoulder. Okay. The only nice moment in the video is Colm looks at Ramin is and gives him a look like you're all right, buddy. Oh, and, and Ramin that, loves Colm. Well, of who course. Doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? Tell me who they are. <laughs> I will. Hunt them I will down. kill them. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> do you want to watch, uh, talk about Phantom? Yeah. Do you want to talk about your connection to it and then okay. I'll talk about mine? Yeah. So, actually, this show I think would have been on my list to talk about yeah. if we hadn't decided to do this. And I think this is a better way to approach it. Yeah. It would have been on my list and I've been meditating about why. I had – someone had burnt me two CDs of the original, like, West End production. Yeah. And there's like the two CDs, it was act one and act two, but they weren't broken up into tracks. It was all just like one giant track. Oh. And I used to listen to it obsessively. I wonder like, if it was a rip from a record even. I think it might have been. Yeah. And I loved listening to it. Yeah. Like I had it in my Walkman all the time. It was probably um, it was probably the musical I listened to the most. Right. Out of any other musical. Even Les like Mis. even like when Les Mis was big, even yeah. like when I was really loving Rent when I was that yep. age. No, it was all about Phantom. And so I thought about why. I think it's just that, like, it's just really cheap tricks and they work. Was it the full thing or was it the highlights? It was the full thing. Okay, cool. And I just – I actually – there was just some great moments in it. Like, okay, so I've written down – I have lots of reasons for disliking it, like Mm. heaps and heaps of reasons, and I'll tell you about them. But I think it is just mostly a good work. Yeah. Like, it's mostly entertaining. I just don't care to see it or hear it ever again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, it's, I think it's just You've like, had your fill. Yeah, I've had my fill. And also I think the world has had its fill. Mm. But I feel like the tricks that are, uh, like, doled out are not that clever because they're not very original, but it's also, like, it's listenable. It's probably, like, a bit trash mm. in terms of, like, it's a bit trashy, I think. Like, yeah. it's a trashy story and it's, like, trashy musical tricks that Andrew Liverbell, like, tries to stun us with but like really it's just like well it's just like here's here's a musical for people who think they're fancy but aren't fancy here's yeah. a way to listen to a not opera and make you feel like you're listening to opera yeah. but no you're still just a basic bitch mm. like that's sort of what this musical is yeah and that's fine yeah so yeah but also like the phantom is such a dick yeah, that's definitely been my realization as an adult that I, I probably didn't realize him. when I was younger. Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, like, it never occurred biggest, to me. For it never example. occurred to me. I also think, like, when I was a teenager, I was like consuming so much romance, as we all do when we're teenagers. Mm. 
And like, yeah, it never occurred to me that actually he's a very problematic character, yeah. but like in a way that, whoa, yeah, <laughs> a very dangerous character. Yeah. So what about you? What's your reason? So um, this is a show that probably of definitely of all the shows we've done and maybe of all the shows we'll ever do that I'm the most professionally linked to like mm. um sounds sexy <laughs> so like the company that I work for does the merchandise for pretty much most productions of this show around the world um what sort of merchandise is there lots I love our phantom bear it's a little teddy bear that's dressed up as the phantom a phantom bear yeah that's cute um then there's like some classic ones like we sell a plastic mask like like we sell the mask do you sell a chandelier no. Well, that's a bit lame. Well, who would buy a chandelier? Who wouldn't? <laughs> um, we sell in London and New York, we have like some very expensive jewellery that's inspired. It's done Ooh. by a jewellery designer, Theo Fennell, who's a friend of Angelo Weber's. And it's oh. like real sterling silver and that sort of thing. It's Jeez. like quite expensive. Do people buy it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Particularly in London. Um, yeah, we've got heaps of stuff. We've got, we actually sell these roses that, it's funny because the rose is like very linked to the show in its marketing and everything, but there's not really no, any roses in the show. Really in the They've show. always had roses. Again, it's that idea of it being like the, a romance and, and the opera and all that sort of thing. So we sell like these silk roses. Um, so weird. Yeah. That, yeah. It's like a kind of interesting collection that we, we sell like a little um, ceramic, like basically like a Christmas ornament of the mask as well. Cool. They're quite popular. Um, they've been in the range for years. Yeah, and then obviously that was a lot of, lot of T-shirts and huh. and that sort of thing. Are there so, any, like, funny slogans? That stuff doesn't really work for Phantom. Again, oh. it's much more about it being beautiful and, like. Once it, again, it's the trashy musical for people who think they're fancy. <laughs> it really is. But the, the bear sells well. That's that's probably our, like, most kind of novelty item, if you will. That's the item that, to me, like, you buy when you're in the, you're in the theatre and you're amazed by all the splendour and you take it home, you're like, what the fuck? Can I buy this bear? I really like the bear. Do you have it? No, I don't. (laughs) But that's like I never really get stuff anymore because it's kind of like, oh, but there's just one at work. Yeah. You know. I'll just look at it every day. (laughs) Um, So when COVID hit, we had five productions of Phantom that were affected. Five? Yeah. So That's um, too many. Literally like US tour, New York. Um, London, UK tour, and then like an Asian, like the the world tour that was in Asia at the time. Wow. Which is due to reopen very soon in Taiwan and then it goes to China. Yeah. Wow. So that's When you say soon, how soon is that? Like Taiwan's in the next few weeks. Shit. Yeah. Go Taiwan. Yeah. But they're doing really well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly. And that's the one that has been in Korea, that's been in South Korea. You know how like it ran during COVID? Yes. It never closed. It closed for like two weeks when – a cast member, I think, tested positive wow. and then they all quarantined and then they got reopened. Go them. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't it, – the show didn't, like, officially close during COVID, which is wow. quite incredible. Um, so because of the fact that I'm, like, linked to it professionally, I've, again, like, kind of like Lamy has seen this show many, so many, many times. So many times, yeah. Um, I've tried to count and I think it's probably upwards of ten times. Oh, no, um, Ruth, are you okay? I think <laughs> I've seen it three times. Including attending the 30th anniversary gala performance in London in 2016. Oh, you fancy bitch. Yeah. Was um, Angelo Baba there? Yes, he was. Wow, did yeah. you see his face? Yeah. Mm. I've seen him a few times. I've, he has CC'd me on an email before, claim to fame, oh. <laughs> when we were doing School of Rock. Well, well, well. Um, and I've mentioned it before, but for me, um, the Las Vegas production, when I saw that, that the was kind of one, like, yeah, that 90 minute I one. actually thought that was kind of perfect, like just this like parade of hits kind of thing. Because for me, the songs in this, 
when they're good, they're really good. Yeah. But then there's kind of the rest of the, the show. And a bit like Evita, this is like, I mean, I mentioned this in the Evita episode. Yeah. I just find it a bit confounding, like, why some of that exists. Um, it's also why I think the Royal Albert Hall production is the best way to watch the show because I, I think we have completely different opinions on this. Really? Yeah. Because I think that the performances in that are amazing. Like yeah. Ramin and, and Sierra, oh, Ramin Karamu and Sierra Bogus are my favourite. Definitely. People who play those roles. And so it's like amazing performances and it's kind of just about the music to me. Um, <laughs> so for me, like I cannot stand those like hits and when they come, they're jarring to the story. Right. So, like, I would just rather take that, like, take the song Fan of the Opera, take Music of the Night out and just, like, I would just want to see the story. But what about, like, all the Il Muto, like, all the opera, like, the Love fake? Love that. Oh, it's so dissonant. Right? No, Josephine. That's why we have the, yeah, anyway. It's good that we're doing this together. <laughs> Um, so, um, I'm going to cover a couple of things then. Josephine's going to cover a couple of things. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the synopsis. And Tell me the plot, Ruth Yeah. Tiffin. So, um, based on the 1910 French novel of the same name. Have you read it? I have not. I was going to ask if you had. I had. Of course you have. But I guess on LaRue? Yeah, LaRue. It's very different. Yeah. Well, it's quite a kind of, again, isn't it kind of a trashy novel? Yeah. It was like, yeah. I mean, it's still like a proper novel, but yeah. Yeah. It's very like sh- schlocky sort yeah, of. Schlockies, yeah, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, lyrics by Charles Hart and a book by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Richard Stilgo. And that original production was directed by Hal Prince and produced by Cameron McIntosh. So we're talking some big, big people. Do you think Hal Prince had like one of those time turners like in Harry Potter? <laughs> Because, like, how is he doing everything all the time? I know. It's insane. I don't get it. It's, like, although I, I actually don't get I, it. I don't think I was going to mention this, but I did just was reading this earlier today. It was at a point in his uh, – quite a low point in his career. Um, when he was just, like, what, having well, a three-month break? his last hit had been Evita. Oh. And then he'd had, like, Merrily and all these shows that had been quite big flops. Yeah, when they had that he and Sondheim, like, yeah. Well, like, okay, so that's this enough. is – and he'd done a few, like, posts on time as well that had been flops. So, like, this is actually, like – in a lull in his career that then picks back up again. Jeez. Yeah, but um, it's also quite weird to think that it's quite far along in Andrew Lloyd Webber's career. So yeah. this is post-Joseph, Jesus Christ Superstar, Cats, Starlight Express and Evita. Yeah. Like it's quite late. Yeah. Uh, it's just sort of weird to think about because it's such well, a mega hit. when you think hit. about when Joseph was. I know. Like he was, what was Andrew Lloyd Webber in, in his early 20s? Well, he was a teenager when he wrote it. Yeah. And I think he was like 20 when it came out or something. So that, yeah. like, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a long, It's yeah. crazy. I'm also, I have to, like, side note, I'm somewhat fascinated by the career of Charles Hart, who was the yes. lyricist for Phantom, because he had competed in the Vivian Ellis Awards for Music Theatre Writers um, and was a finalist in these awards. And um, Lloyd Webber and, Ma- and Cameron McIntosh were judges in these awards. And so he was very young. And oh, so, wow. like, that was sort of how he got hired to do Phantom. And he was only 25 when it opened on the West End. What? Crazy young. I actually just assumed he was sort of, like, their vintage. Right? I didn't realise. So after Phantom he co-wrote the lyrics to Aspects of Love and he's basically done very little ever since then. But yeah. I bet he's still a millionaire. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Like, you know, you, you wouldn't have to do, have to do anything. Touched Phantom yes. and you would be a millionaire. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have to do anything. So no. he's only like, yeah, he's like what, in his like late 50s. Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Imagine just doing one good job and then being like, well, that's yep. it. I'm Even done. Aspects of Love would have earned him a bit because that was quite a big hit in, in the UK. I know it's – I'm not a big fan of that show. But so he didn't do Love Never Dies? I think he did a, a bit of it. Right. Like, because you know how 
Lloyd Webber will often do that, like yeah. get someone well, to then work on these lyrics. Because and... is it true you might talk about this, but that there was someone else involved that like before yeah. Charles Hart got involved that was a bit controversial? There was a few people. Yeah. I will and, talk about that. Yeah, okay, so we'll leave it for then because I've got a whole section on that. Are you reading from Yellow Paper? No, or is that's that the just the, it's just the fa- fancy lights in here. They're so fancy. Yeah. So the story. So we start with a prologue. Yeah. It's 1905. A collector's piece. <laughs> Indeed. (laughs) It's 1905 in Paris and the Opera Populaire hosts an auction of old theatrical memorabilia where the Vicomte Raoul de Chagny (laughs) bids and wins a a monkey music box. The next item presented is a shattered chandelier, a sh- chandelier, <laughs> chandelier, shattered chandelier, and as it ascends to the ceiling, we flash back to 1881. Okay, can I say that's the best part of the whole musical? When it, when when it like, flashbacks. A little and, illumination, yeah. gentlemen. And, all, and like all the sides of the theatre is like covered in curtains and everything, yeah. and they all like come away, and suddenly you're back in this I just opulent love actually theater. like the slow. Like ascent of the chandelier. Yes, it's a great visual. It is, and the, when the music kicks in there yeah, as well, that it's awesome amazing. organ. Yeah. Um. So the it were back in 1881. The Opera Populaire has new owners, Monsieur Fermin and Andre. Fermin. <laughs> Fermin. Anyway, um. The new their new opera Hannibal is about to open with Carlotta, the resident prima donna, as the lead. However, after another supposedly freak accident, she quits the show. Luckily, a chorus girl, Christine Daae, has been well taught and is able to step into the role. Why are you talking about it like that? Well, You're doing these eyebrows too. Yeah, well taught. Well Who was she taught. taught by, Josephine? Oh, ooh, foreshadowing. Mm. Um, after a successful performance, Christine finally meets her singing teacher you know, because she hadn't seen him. Um, he is the Phantom of the Opera, who is the <laughs> theatre's ghost, um, and he takes her to his secret lair and shows his feelings for her. Oh After she removes his mask and sees his disfigured face, um, he takes her back up above ground, basically. <laughs> we then have this period of, like, the phantom telling the theatre owners what he wants from them and them not doing it, and then the phantom causing havoc in retaliation. It's more than havoc, though, right? Like, he's a total dick. Yeah. And in amongst this, we have Christine and Raul, who I mentioned earlier, who were childhood friends. They're, like, confessing their feelings for each other, like, much to the distress of the Phantom. Yeah. Um, we then have sort of another period of the theatre owners doing what the Phantom wants them to. Um, so they're now putting on this opera that he's written but also pl- plotting to trap him at the same time. The Phantom then secretly replaces the lead tenor in the show and basically kidnaps Christine once again, taking her down to his lair. An angry mob and Raul both go to rescue her, but when Raul gets down there first, the Phantom captures him with his magical lasso. Which is just like that sentence, magical lasso. Love it. Anyway, the Phantom offers Christine a deal. If she stays with the Phantom, he'll spare Raoul's life. But if she doesn't, he'll kill him. She tells the Phantom he is not alone and kisses him in an act of compassion. Having experienced kindness for the first time, the Phantom mm. coalesces and releases both of them. Oh, my God. Uh, then the ending is basically that the angry search mob are now closing in and the devastated Phantom huddles on his throne beneath his cloak. Meg, who uh, is Christine best friend and confidant is the first to reach the lair and finds no one there she approaches the throne with curiosity and quickly pulls away the phantom's cloak but finds only his mask she lifts it up into the light and gazes at it in wonder as the curtain falls that ending is just so like terrible <laughs> i find it very cheesy but at the same time like why I kind is that of, the thing you find the most cheesy i don't know but for some reason that is everything about it is cheese on toast yeah but like 
I kind of enjoy that about it as well. Well, like it's very operatic. Yeah. It's so melodramatic. Yes, it's like, over the top. You get it's, it. Yeah. It's over the top. There's just so many problems in it. Yeah. Do you want me to keep talking about the production? What would you like to do? Hmm. Should we talk about how shit the story is? Sure. Tell me how shit is the story. It's just very convoluted, isn't it? It's convoluted but also like, oh, do we have to? Like firstly, does Raoul really have to just show up as soon as Christine starts to become successful? Like, yeah. What's that? bullshittery seriously because it's literally like she starts to sing beautifully and everyone loves her and then he's like oh hello (laughs) childhood friend I mean my biggest to be honest my biggest thing is this issue where like people think that it's romantic between the phantom and Christine it's the, not, the, the it's Phantom is, is a romantic person. It's so when off. he's clearly an incel. He's clearly an incel and he's a, an abuser. An abuser. And very problematic. Yes, very problematic. And like he's escalating. His behavior is escalating. Yeah. He's like that's red flags everywhere. Red flags everywhere. Everything about his behavior is so fucked. It's well, yeah. Because I haven't seen Love Never Dies, right? But yeah. I know the plot of it, and it's the most fucked. Like well, to think that there's some sort of love affair between Christine and the Phantom. Well, I think so. We're only supposed to think it, for so Love Never Dies is the sequel to yeah. Phantom of the Opera, and it sort of sets up that they had sex, right? Like yeah. there's this child. This is a child. So I think we're supposed to think that they had sex maybe that first night, right? Maybe. I don't know. Who's so Even busy singing at her? When do they have time for that? Well, there's, she sleeps there that first night because she gets up the next day and leaves. Right. I don't really know. But, yes, they're supposed to have had sex. Is that how you get a baby? <laughs> You're like, learning this now? <laughs> oh, and even just some of the language where he's like, he created her and all this bullshit, mm, like, yeah, fuck yeah. off, Phantom. Yeah. Why is he such a good singing teacher anyway? It's, it, honestly, the story is just very bizarre. It's preposterous. Honestly, I don't think people are there for the story. What are they there for? The, I think it's the music. It's the string of hits that don't actually correspond to the story at all. They're kind of like pop songs on their mm. own, if you will. Well, I think. I think Phantom of the Op- the song Phantom of the Opera does. It's like him getting her to sing. That's that's story to me. Do you reckon? Yeah. I don't think so because she's already sung. It's not like we we knew she could sing. She's already sung Think of Me. Yeah. So, like, why? It's why more are you like just showing off, like sing higher and higher. Like, Why is that? A, there's no purpose to it. It's just music for well, them to showiness. get down to the lair. It's showiness. It's so showy and yeah. it's so repetitive. What about Music of the Night? What's the purpose of that? There's well, I think no that purpose. is a – I think they – so I, I have seen a clip of – them talking about this where Phantom didn't have a song in the first act. See, that upsets me. Yeah. Like it's such a useless, pointless song. It's a beautiful song. Mm. Stunning. But why? Why is it there? Yeah. It's just a hit to All chuck I in ask the musical. Of you, I don't – it's like a romantic duet. Yeah. So like that happens in musicals. That happens in musicals. Yeah. Like Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again probably shouldn't happen. But yeah, I agree. Wishing, again, it's a pretty song but yeah. it's like – she goes and visits her father's grave. Yeah. Like it's kind of random. So this is where what I was saying before where the only bits that I really enjoy are like the actual when you're in the opera. Yeah. When you're seeing the workings of the opera and the day-to-day of that. Mm. Where like, the, do you like like the letters stuff? The letters and, and when they're like the owners Donna. are like, yeah, when Prima Donna and Masquerade, when they're like, when it's just like day-to-day but it feels like when those hits are trotted out, mm. they're just like, okay, here's a character going to sing a hit at you now. Stand and sing. Yeah, that's what it feels like. So that's why those are not my favourite bits, mm. although I love all those songs. They're what about think, think of Me is within the opera? Think of Me is fine. Yeah. Although I will say, because I love Sierra Bogus so much, mm. but what 
Sarah Brightman does really well. She doesn't make a meal of that end bit. You know, at the end where she's like, the, like, the, <laughs> the, the trill, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Sarah Brightman just sings it without those weird pauses. Mm. Like, stop pausing. Or like we it's know you can too sing. much dramatic effect yeah. kind of thing. But then I have to say, like, we don't know how she did that live. Sarah Brightman. Like that's on the recording, whereas that's a live recording yeah, that's of really Sierra. True. That's very so we true. don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But um Anyway, the story is really wild. I actually think that some of my favorite musical moments are say, um, like I love the ending of the first act after All I Ask of You. Oh, yeah. When the Phantom um is yes. on the roof He's and cranky. comes out. And I also think that them. that's a really amazing piece of staging yeah. where they sort of descend that big um like angel that's on the roof yeah. and we're like, Oh my God, he's been there the whole time. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I love like the trio at the end when they're kind of fighting oh, at yeah. the end between Raul, Phantom and Christine. It's just all so formulaic, isn't it though? Like you think? Yeah. Like I think the, m- not necessarily in structure though. Hmm. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it's like a typical golden age musical, for oh, example. Oh, no, no. No, definitely not. Whereas I kind of feel like that's the formula, right? Like that's the musical theatre formula. Yeah. Mm. Maybe more in – I wouldn't say formula. Like I would just say like, yeah, like a lot of the music falls on old tricks yeah. rather than – I think that's sort of what I mean. Yeah. It's like the, mu- the musically – and we haven't really started talking about the music yet, but yes. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It's only, like you said, it's only as I'm an adult now re- looking back on the story thinking like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah, it's just not and I and I have to say I think that that's happening. Aren't we just all thinking critically more and more now that it's 2020 and, yeah, good. and that sort of thing? But yeah, I just would never have thought that as no. a teenager. And like that doesn't mean that there's no place for phantom, but let's not call it a romance. Yeah, I know. Let's call it an abusive, terrifying <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the history of the show. Tell me. So in 1984, Andrew Lloyd Webber and um, Cameron McIntosh wanted to do a romantic musical. Like that's – they literally set out – Oh, my God. That was the Why idea. Why just make a musical of, I don't know, like Prime Prejudice or something? Jesus. Um, and they had seen – so like Sarah Brightman had been asked to be in this other adaptation of Phantom and they went and saw it and – Oh, yeah, the one, the Ken Hill one? The Ken one? Hill one, yeah. yeah. And they went Have and we saw it. Have we mentioned that yet? I No, but it's it's on my list. Um, Yeah, so there's been other adaptations of Phantom, guys. We're going to talk about that. Um. <laughs> And so they went and saw it. And they were like, oh, yeah, interesting. Like, because that was a bit different. Like, that was more like, I think, um, a bit sort of lighter and more like an opera and a bit silly kind of thing. Um, and so they then watched two film adaptations of it, of the book. Um, but we're just like, we can't see this on stage. No. And then. Because it's preposterous. Sometime later, Andrew Lloyd Webber spotted the novel, which was out of print at that stage, in a secondhand bookstore and decided to read it. Um, like that afternoon mm. and and after doing that he was like yeah I can see this as a show basically. it's interesting because there's nothing romantic about the novel yeah like it's not romantic it's more like a gothic horror yeah, yeah. fascinating mm. um so the first act was presented at Andrew Lloyd Webber's country estate um Sidmonton in 1985 which is where a lot of his musicals are first presented like he can yeah. he did he like converted a church there as like a little theater and yeah it's actually quite I think that's quite cool like if, if you awesome. were a, if I a money, multi-millionaire yeah. like that's what you would do right I would convert a church yeah Sarah Brightman is Christine of course um so they have just had a whirlwind this. romance they're yeah. both married to other people yeah um, and they met what what was she in she was like a cut uh, she was like a pop star and then she was in Cats she was a course she was in, in Cats, yeah right? exactly yeah. that's how they met um and they at this stage are married and he writes the role for her obviously yeah um your boy Colm Wilkinson plays the Phantom yeah in this yeah production. yeah yeah 
Um, so the Phantom then begins previews at Her Majesty's Theatre in London's West End on the 27th of September 1986 under the direction of Hal Prince and then opened on the 9th of October where it has been running ever since, albeit obviously um, COVID. When did Colm leave the production? He, so he never does he never it. Did he it. comes and does it, but but by the time it's being done professionally, he's in Les Mis. Yeah. So like, because Les Mis is only just open, yeah. so he can't do it. Yeah. He opens the Toronto production. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So and I think he does do it eventually, like on Broadway and stuff. But a lot later. Yeah. Um, well, he yeah. played it quite a bit in his career, right? Yeah. He just what like he would have been the original if it went for Les Mis. That, that's sort of my understanding. Yeah. 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 Um, it is the second longest running West End musical after Les Mis and it is the third longest running West End show overall after Les Mis and the Mousetrap. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, so Phantom begins Broadway previews at the Majestic Theatre on the 9th of January 1988 and opens on the 26th of January. All three leads reprise their roles on Broadway. Um, as of March 8th, 2020, which is um, would be the weekend before COVID um, shut the theatres, there had been 13,366 performances on Broadway. Wow. It is currently the longest-running show in Broadway history. That's insane. Yeah. It is was nominated for 10 Tony Awards at the 1988 Tonys and it won seven. Best Musical, Best Leading Actor for Michael Crawford, Best Featured Actress for Judy Kay as Carlotta, Best Direction, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, Best Lighting Design. It lost Best Score and Best Book 2. Oh, we talked about this. Yeah. Sunday the Bug with George. Into the Woods. Into the Woods. Yes. Gosh. Um, and uh, the other two musicals nominated that year for most of the awards were Romance, Romance and Serafina, which Josephine had done, previously done a spotlight on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like it was basically Into the Woods and Phantom. That was the year. That um, mm. it's still kind of crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. It would never beat Into the Woods now. If those two never. shows open now, that's not the way the Tony Awards is now. No, no. Like no. you would, Phantom wouldn't get any. It wouldn't get anything. It would win. I reckon it would win like best scenic, like scenic design, design, best costume design. Yeah. yeah, I think it would win those awards. Yeah, yeah. God. Um, there have obviously been many productions all over the world, including multiple US and UK tours. I thought I would mention that we were about ten days into the latest brand new UK tour when COVID hit, and that tour was cancelled in the end. Like mm. it's not they're not reopening it. It's been cancelled. That's sad. So that like literally a week and a half of performances, and that's it. And it was due to run for like, you know, a year or two. Um, Those poor performers. We mentioned the sequel to Phantom, Love Never Dies, which (laughs) has not yet made it to Broadway. And it will never make it to this Um, podcast. Never. But there is a pro shot of the Australian production, which you can watch by. It's Mm. on DVD, et cetera. Would you recommend it to the lovely people? if you're going to consume Love Never Dies, my understanding is that that is by far the best production that was done. They completely reworked it in Australia. Yeah, but they didn't fix the problems with the story, hey? Um... I enjoyed it on a surface level. Right. I, I I don't find – there's a couple of songs. I like that. I like Till I Hear You Sing. I don't yeah. mind the song Love Never Dies. But it's just, a, again, a bit of a batshit crazy show, yes. like in the same way that Phantom is yeah. really. Like why is this story Yeah, happening? but if you like that kind of thing, like if you like Phantom, you'll probably like it, to be mm. honest. So, yeah, Where's I would recommend shaker? it in that sense. Um there is, of course, the 2004 film directed by Joel Schumacher and yes. starring Gerard Butler and Emmy Rossum. Such an excellent casting, don't you think, Ruth? <laughs> I actually don't mind Emmy Rossum. She, I mean, she looks the part, and, and she's she had sweet. been she had played she had been in the Metropolitan Opera. She yeah. was a child opera singer. She, um, but she didn't have the voice. I for don't think she Christine. hits. 
what is the top note that Chris sent? Do you know what it is? It's an E above middle C, yeah. above high C. So I think that's like computer generated. I don't think it's her singing it. Well, yeah, that's um, but that's also a very high note. Incredibly high. Yeah. And not, um, I'm sure you'll mention this, not sung live in the show. No. Um, we won't discuss the film much as it is awful, but one thing <laughs> I didn't know is that Joel Schumacher was attached to it all the way back in 1989 when Warner Brothers first purchased the rights. Wow. Yeah, so he then kind of, there were periods where he wasn't attached to it, like when it was sort of stuck in development hell. Yeah. But in the end, he was the one who directed it once it was finally made. Gosh. Um, it was also produced independently in the end by Andrew Lloyd Webber's company, Really Useful Group, and Andrew Lloyd Webber invested $6 million of his own money into the film. God. It had a budget of $80 million and it grossed um, a total of $154.6 million worldwide. So a good investment in the end. Yeah, exactly. But um, trash. Casting-wise, Hugh Jackman was originally cast as the Phantom, um, which he would have been better than Drew Butler, been better. let's be honest. Still not the right choice, but he would have been better. Yeah. Um, he has to drop out due to scheduling clashes with Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Katie Holmes and Anne Hathaway were both at different <laughs> points attached to Christine. <laughs> um, it was nominated for three Oscars. Uh, cinematography, production design, and original song, but didn't didn't win any. Original song, yeah. They that oh, was, was that, that new Le- one. Learn to be lonely. It was God. called, which I think Charles Hart did write the lyrics to. By the way, <laughs> the Phantom does need to learn to be lonely. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an approval rating of thirty three percent. That is generous. <laughs> I think that's generous. It's a pretty mediocre film. It's so bad. And then the only other production I want to mention is that 25th anniversary Royal Royal Albert Hall production. Yeah, we need to talk about Ramin. Yeah, which there is a DVD of, and this and it's there's a CD of it as well. Um, It was on YouTube, right? Like didn't they put the whole thing? So during during COVID, COVID. um, yeah, really useful group did this. They have a YouTube channel called The Shows Must Go On. Yeah, and they would sort of release for limited time periods some of these shows, and they've now released it twice during COVID for like uh, three days at a time, kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. and it was great. I encouraged people to watch it because I was like, while it's available, yeah, it was really good of them. Yeah, and I think I saw it at the cinema when it first came out as well. Yeah, Yeah. but yes, what did you think of the twenty fifth? I I that I love that production. I I love running. Well, the casting is perfect. Do you know, I, Shane and I had an argument last night because oh, I, really? I, like, made him watch them do, I think it was Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Um, Ramin and Sierra. And I was like, look how perfect this is. And he goes, I don't think he's a good Phantom. <gasps> I will fight your husband. And he was like, I just don't think he's old enough. I don't think he has enough gravitas. And I'm like, what? That's interesting. I don't think Phantom needs to be a certain age, by the way. Well, it's it's the he's Jean Valjean thing. Right? It's the, <laughs> he's a real person. Well, yeah, but like a – He's a real yeah. idiot. Yeah. He's trying to pretend to be a ghost. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe he's a young moron. Yeah. I think of him as like the 40-year-old virgin. That's yeah. how I think of him. Yeah, an incel. A total uh, incel. <laughs> but, God. yeah, uh, I know I don't think – he was one – I think he was one of the youngest phantoms. Um, I think, but that I mean, was many I think years Shane's before. Because I think Ramin has everything that is needed so, to be the phantom. I know he acts the – Fuck out of it. He's just too handsome. You think he's too handsome? He's too handsome. Mm. And, like, when Sierra Bogus looks at him, I believe that she's, like, undressing him with her <laughs> eyes. And that's not how it should be. One thing I love, so Hadley Fraser plays um, 
plays Raul. And I think we've mentioned it before, but um, Rosalie Craig, who's the female Bobby in Company, they're married in real life. And I just, I really like ship that relationship. Like I just, those voices, like, oh my God, right. Um, But they're like Hadley and and Ramin have been in quite a few things together over the years and they're really good friends. I think Hadley might be like the godfather to um, Ramin's children. I just imagine that everyone would be friends with Ramin. Right? He seems so lovely. He seems like the best guy ever. And, um, but they, when I went, when I was living in London and um, Ramin was doing a concert, um, I went and went and saw him by myself because I'm a loser. Mm, you loser. And Hadley was just like playing the cajon and like doing backing vocals. That's cute. And like he got up and they did a song together, but he literally was just like part of the band. Like it's so, I just love it. I, I love, love it. it. And he's a beautiful Raul as well. He is. He's yeah. excellent. Yeah. That, honestly, those three are just perfect yeah. in those roles. Perfect. I, I feel like actually once you get those three, everyone else like whatever. I agree. I but agree. those three are pretty important. I'm sort of yet to see like a Carlotta or anyone like that that really makes me kind of change my mind about like I, everyone I say I'm like yeah they're good which is the same representation yes, right it's I hard I also feel like Meg is always so mediocre it's hard that is again a hard role one thing I do love though is that Sharon Millerchip was yeah. the original Meg in Phantom like in Australia yes and then so in Love Never Dies Meg is quite a big role yeah, like she's a, a much big role. much bigger role than she is in Phantom yeah and she um played her like then as That's well awesome. yeah it does reinforce like this is probably the ultimate of like Angelo Weber writing ridiculous parts for women. For women, yeah. Just ridiculous. Yeah. Like all of them are yeah. ridiculous. I will say it's, again, it's a little bit nice that it's a soprano lead, um, like a legit soprano lead in a modern, I mean I know, when I'm saying modern I know it's over 30 years old, but like yeah. that just doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. So in that but sense also like. But it's ridiculous, yeah. You, you can't just be a soprano because the low notes in the Phantom yeah, Opera are true. low, low. It's very true. It's a huge range. It's very true. Do you um, want me to talk about music? Yes, that's all about the productions. Okay. So the music along with the rest of the musical, as Ruth has mentioned, is inspired by the 1976 musical by Ken Hill. So Andrew Lloyd Webber actually has said like he took a lot of. Well, apparently for a while they were going to write it together. Yes, And then he was right. just like, I think I'm going to do it on my own. <laughs> Ouch, poor Ken. Yeah. So firstly, I've already said it. I think this is a poor man's opera. Mm. Like it's just trying to be, obviously it's a musical. We know it's not an opera, but it's really trying hard to like harness a group of people who don't really like opera or can't appreciate it, but like think they want to be a bit fancy. Yeah. So I'm going to say it a million times. But whenever whenever I think about that, I just think what a smart commercial thing to do though. Absolutely. You know? Like this is, I think it's so smart. And obviously this has been hugely successful for a reason. Yeah. And lots of people love it for a good reason. Like there's lots to love about this musical. But also like it's a piece of trash. (laughs) It really is. But sometimes you have to go like, I enjoy that. I enjoy that. Yeah. And that's totally fine. But I think let's not, it's not highbrow musical entertainment at no. all there's nothing highbrow about it even though it feels like it is because it's slightly operatic mm. like don't be fooled by that is yeah. what i'm saying it's just flashy tricks um so my my big issue with the music is just how many hits are in here it just feels like i'm watching like i said a musical yeah. and then do you mean like it's like he's tried to insert hits is that your because it's not like they were hits before they no but <laughs> i feel like he's he sat down and he's like okay like you said this is a single here's the phantom is going to sing a song i'm gonna have like an a in it i'm gonna be like it's gonna right. be like that's what it feels it's a like. g-sharp but yeah well yeah it just feels very <laughs> like like i said formulaic yeah it feels just like he sat down and 
He's inserted here them is into, Phantom Solo. Yeah. Here is the love duet. And for me, it's quite jarring when those hits come up because it it feels like it interrupts the musical. Mm. It actually that's how it feels to me. So Interesting. I struggle with a lot of those songs. Yeah. Um, like I've said, it's often very operatic in style. It clearly maintains form and structure of a musical, so it can't be confused from an opera. The actual operatic passages are reserved for certain characters, so it's generally like Carlotta, um, Andre, and yeah, and Furman. Like it's just the people in the opera. And I do what I do love is that like um, show within a show format. Yes, that the musical has. So there's that brings a lot of opportunity for little musical passages. Mm. So you have like little moments of an opera here and there, which is sort of I like that. Like yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah. as a viewer, um, and they're also like. Those little operatic passages are used to provide like the content of the fictional operas that are taking place. So those fictional operas are Hannibal, Il Muto, and then the Phantom's big work, Don Juan, Triumphant. Mm. Um, I printed double-sided this time, which is weird. ALW, so Andrew Lloyd Webber has really just stuck like a whole lot of operatic history into these bits. So he really was like heavily influenced by Mozart and just like a whole range of, even a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. So he's just, it's really derivative of the operatic stuff, which is totally fine. What is a bit clever, I think, is that the operas are always presented as fragments that are usually interrupted by dialogue or action in order to continually remind us that we're watching a show within a show. Right. And that's sort of why I love those parts the most. Um, the extras, the, the extracts that we hear from Don Juan Triumphant, so the Phantoms opera, are particularly dissonant and modern. Yes. So, like, really ugly sounds. And so you like that stuff. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's the stuff I don't like. Well, I think, and it's like, we assume that's sort of denoting the fact that the Phantom is ahead of his time yes, artistically. Yeah. And so he's A I bit of a that, wanker. A bit of a wanker. <laughs> like, he's just been down in the dungeons too long writing yeah. bullshit. Um, I also love a bit of organ. Yes. Like I'm a sucker for a big fucking organ. Love it. And there's a lot of organ in yeah. this musical. Yeah. So I actually really love that um, that motif of the chromatic movement. So yeah. he uses this and everyone will know it. It's a da, 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 over and over and over. Yeah. And that's like, oh, the phantom is coming. So like, it, it's a bit like Sweeney Todd but just not very well executed, the use of light motif. <laughs> right. In this musical, like it's just so repeated. Yeah. Lots of repeated motifs. It's like motifs. it's not as um, – like on purpose kind of exactly. thing. It's like leitmotif that's not necessarily on purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not consistent. So yeah. like not every time the Phantom. Yes. Like it doesn't always, it's just not very well. Imagine if that was his entrance music every time. It's so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> but that would suit his dumb character. Uh, so generally the show is performed with a pretty full pit, although there are a number of different scores available. So the original included a 27-piece orchestra while the Broadway had a 29-piece pit orchestra and the 25th anniversary had its own special score for 45 pieces. Oh, wow, okay. I think part of what makes this musical seem highbrow is the like the traditional pit instruments yeah. used. Like they're very orchestral. So it's not like a band. They Apart talk- from the weird synth and drums every now and yeah. then, it's pretty traditional. They talk a lot in that Behind the Mask doco about how um, the music is quite hard to play. Yes. Like a lot of the the string stuff in particular. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean because it's a um, – because it is like – what am I trying to say? It's through sung. Yeah. There's a lot of it. Like it's yeah. just – it's a big job. It's yeah. a really big job. That's why I love listening to that This American Life episode. Yeah, it was great. Honestly, so guys, listen to it. It was so good. It was so good. So like I've mentioned, the score is known for some pretty catchy bangers, standalone songs really. Also for being just a bit weird, like 
there is a lot of synth chucked in there. Yeah. Too much synth. It's very of its time in that yeah. sense. So, yeah. like, the second the title song comes on, you're just, like, relentlessly thrown back into the late 80s. Yeah. And not that that's a bad thing, but the musical is, it's not appropriate in the dungeon of a late 1880s <laughs> opera house. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, why am I hearing synth and a bit of drum? Yeah, yeah. So fucking weird. So, like I said, Angelo Weber uses repeated motifs to fairly good effect, particularly that chromatic movement. But basically anything weird sounding or dissonant denotes the phantom, which I suppose is cool. Like, he is a, a divisive character. Um, and once again, the score is basically unsingable by human women, which is very on brand for Angelo Weber. So like Ruth has mentioned in the song, The Phantom of the Opera, the final note, which everyone yeah. will know. So he's like, because he's, he's so amazing and powerful. Yeah. He's like drawing this amazing voice out of Christine that she never knew she had. And so she's singing higher and higher and higher and he's, sing for me. It's so aggressive and dumb. <laughs> But the very last note is an E above high C, yeah. which is like I think that's E7. Right. So high. It's incredibly it's high. It's stupid high. It's yeah. like Queen of the Night aria high. Yeah. But also like you have to hit it in that like very kind of like lyric soprano way, right? Exactly. Like it's not like a dramatic soprano. No, yeah. that's right. So it's it's like very legit. Yeah. And, yeah, as Ruth mentioned, Coloratura. that's not sung live. Yeah. For a very good well, reason. Well, a lot of that song isn't. No. Yeah. Like most of the end of it is not really. But, all, I mean, partly just – and because she literally turns around to sing it, right? Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure in the staging she turns around to sing it so that's that you right. don't sort of so see, don't her see her miming it. it they use levels a lot, so the phantoms are like a little bit above her, like drawing yeah. it out. So you see the phantom, but you see her the back of her yeah. head. Yeah. And like earlier in that song, they're kind of, because it's as they're making their way down to the lair yeah. kind of thing, and they're walking through um, across the stage, like up and down, like these ramps and stuff like that. And at one point, it's not them. It's just like body doubles, or they wouldn't be able to get like into the boat. That's right. You know, in time. I love the idea of like the ca- there's a cast member who's like, Phantom yeah. too as he yeah. walks down these steps. I know. Because, yeah, they. this is not music related but when that lair thing happens, I was. I think it was in the Behind the Mask documentary but yeah. it's something like 10 tonnes of dry ice is used right. to create that because, I mean, it's supposed to look like they're on water yes. for a lot of that so yeah. they have to like fill the stage with this smoke. Yeah. And, yeah, that. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I really, I've. I know I've already mentioned this, but I want to talk more about it. Like what is the purpose of some of those songs? This is my biggest gripe with the musical is like why is Music of the Night here? It doesn't advance the story. It doesn't add anything to the character. Like it it doesn't tell me anything. So they actually I think talked about this in the Behind the Mask documentary basically. So it wasn't in there for – because Charles Hart wrote the lyrics for that song Um, and it was like Cameron was like, we have no reason to feel sorry for Phantom. Like he has no song yeah. in the first act. Like we had no reason. And so that was why it was written. I like don't they even needed think a song works. for us to like relate to him as a character. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they have achieved that outcome except that the song is really beautiful mm. and when it's sung beautifully you probably feel something for yeah. the person singing it. I think that it. is probably what happens. And that's sort of not good enough. And like, also because we're now at the stage where because Phantom has the like – popularity that it does that people aren't watching that character go through something they're seeing someone sing music of the night that's right and as soon as that music starts they're like oh I hope this is good yeah because I love this song and I just think I I can't obviously separate from like how we know these songs now and how we interact with them now but I just don't think it would have ever worked yeah in any like any dramatic way it would Mm. never have added anything to the story and that's my biggest problem with a lot of those standalone you might also be overestimating 
the audience a bit because, like, I do think that sometimes there are songs where people are just really impressed by them. Yeah, and I I think that is totally – there's a place for that. So this is just my opinion of why I think these songs are mostly superfluous. It's like dramaturgically – it's like not. Yeah. You're Why not, is this yeah. here? This is yeah. an unnecessary four minutes that doesn't help us. Yeah. So I I just can't help myself from comparing like Angelo Weber to Sondheim, for example, where everything musically that happens in a Sondheim musical is purposeful. Yeah. And it's so important for the character. Like yeah. it, it's not just that it's musically there to be wanky or whatever, but it's like it's important. Yeah. And that's just so missing in Phantom. It's so missing. Yeah. That it's it's hard, isn't it? Because it's it's also like, you know, if we talked about success as only being commercial and yeah. financial, well then it's then a, you'd go, well, Angeloid Webber's the far better. Yeah, but of course that's not what success is, and it's not no. um, not how we judge people's talents. But it is an interesting, you know, Angeloid Webber is probably the most commercial commercially successful composer of all time. Yeah. I don't I don't know how you would judge it, but. I think he probably is. And I'm really – I don't want to be that Debbie Downer who, like, takes away from that. I don't want to um, – yeah, and I don't want to make it seem like that's not a huge deal because it is. Like, what he's done is incredibly important. And also, like, making theatre accessible to, I would say, the everyman. Yeah. Because I think Phantom of the Opera is an example of a musical that's for Very everyone. accessible. So yeah. accessible. Yeah. Even though it doesn't sound like it, I think anyone could sit down in a chair and, in, and enjoy something yeah. about Phantom of the yeah. Opera. And you cannot say that about a Sondheim musical. You no, just that's can't. very true. That's very so true. That's important, I think. But also, I just, I just hate that it's. It's like, no, it's not that clever. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but it's just not. Yeah. It's enjoyable. It's fluffy. Like, yeah. Yeah. All of that, but it's not good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's my big thing. So yeah, just the purpose of those big hits is mm. where I get tripped up a yeah. lot. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all my music work. Should we talk about some facts? Let's. Oh, actually, I do want to talk about some pop culture references. Sure. I actually suggested that I talk about pop culture references, thinking that there was going to be like a whole ton of it. And then when I went looking. Oh, yeah. Oh, like a Phantom in other things. Yeah. So yeah. like surprisingly considering it's incredible success it just didn't really make its way into yeah. pop culture like some other musicals like i would say it's not referenced anywhere near as often as like cats or lame yes that's true i don't know why yeah i don't either nevertheless phantom is mentioned in no less than three episodes of modern family <laughs> random there's a notable episode of parks and rec where leslie says she wants a man who is dark and mysterious and sings and plays the organ and <laughs> Anne's like you just described the phantom of the that's opera. awesome i'd forgotten that <laughs> Of course, it's also referenced in The Simpsons because, like, have you had any impact on the world if you haven't been referenced in yes, The Simpsons? Yes, that's right. But, yeah, that's it. I actually thought I would I would have, like, a whole, like a whole segment. list, yeah. Yeah, where I could be like, and it's here, and, and it, but no. Oh, interesting. If anyone knows anymore, not that I really care, but tell me. Yeah, fascinated. Do you want to say, tell me some fun facts? I do. So I think I mentioned, this is actually kind of an apology for last week as well. Oh, but cool. in last week's episode on Wicked, um, I mentioned that Phantom was up there as one of the highest grossing musicals of all time Mm -hmm. i think i said it was the highest and it's not number one it's number two to the lion king oh yeah Uh, i know i'm pretty sure you said that well i wasn't sure i think i think i was i was wavering a bit but over six billion dollars grossed worldwide it's so much money and it is uh, the number three um highest grossing broadway show
Show of all time with $1.2 billion gross. However, it is number one in worldwide and Broadway ticket sales with 130 million tickets sold worldwide huh. and 18 million tickets sold on Broadway. Wow. Yeah, which is that's the number one in the world. That's amazing. In both of those cases. Can I tell you a fun fact? Yes. So generally the role of Christine is double cast. Yeah. Because it's right. a tough scene, like all females yeah. in the Angela Webber world. Um, so on Broadway, the second Christine usually does the Thursday night and the Saturday matinee shows. Cause like Yeah. You she can... might do the Thursday matinee, not the Thursday night. Well, according to Wikipedia, okay. she does the Thursday, Thursday night. night okay. and they, Saturday they have matinee. a Thursday matinee, not a Wednesday matinee, which is like actually I think quite a genius idea because yeah. it like means people can squeeze in an extra show yes. kind of thing. Well, yeah, yeah according, according to this, it's the oh, Thursday okay. night and the Saturday matinee shows just to give the other Christine yeah. a break because it's a really demanding role. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm, well, turn. that makes sense that it's like on each of the two show days then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, yeah, you wouldn't just have the second Christine just do the matinees. No, like you want to give that true. Christine a night. It might be that the last time I saw it we just saw the alternate for whatever reason kind yeah, of thing. Right. She was very good though. But it's not necessarily like an understudy. It's more like you are the she's second the, Christine. She's the alternate, right? Yeah, that's that's right. what they call it. That's yeah. right. Instead yeah. of it being like, okay, I'm going on. At, at certain select performances the role of Christine will be played by. That's right. That's often how it's billed on that's the poster. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I thought I'd mention that there were two pop singles released for Phantom before it opened Ooh. in London. So the first was uh, – uh, the first was – oh, actually, it might not have been the first, but one of them was All I Ask of You, um, and that was Sarah Brightman with Cliff Richard. I love that. With, and there's a film clip and everything. Have you seen the film clip? I've seen bits of it. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, they're, like, on a beach at some yeah. point. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The other one was um, Steve Hartley, a rock star yes. from the band Cockney Rebel. Um, <laughs> that one's also quite – there's a film yeah. clip of that too. Yes, and so that was – this is pre – so he thought he was going to be Phantom. Oh, darling. Like, um, he, he – as far as he was concerned, he was cast. I don't know if that's what they think, but as far as he was concerned, he oh, was cast. No. But it just hadn't been publicly announced yet. Um, but basically um, Cameron, Hal and Andrew all got cold feet about it. And um, Michael Crawford's singing teacher was also Sarah Brightman's singing teacher, which is how they found him. And, of course, he was already famous from being From on, some others do ever. Yeah, from – was like a like a very broad comedy star. We haven't even really talked about that. Yeah. The fact that Michael – because – what I what I remember from when I was a lot younger is that that was a huge deal, a huge deal to get like an incredibly funny, like well-known comedic actor who was known for this like really insipid character. Yeah. Like have you seen the show? I've Some seen, yeah, again, I've seen clips. I've never yeah. watched the whole thing. Well, then for that for that man to go to the role of Phantom. I know. And, and according to the world did it so wonderfully. Yeah. Like people say my mother's ilk are like Michael Crawford's the yeah. best. It was a big coup. Like, yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I it's mean, crazy. He's, he's fine, right? He's fine as yeah, a Phantom. Yeah, I, 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 yes, exactly. He's got a beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. Yeah. So funny. Um, so my fun fact, if you've read the book, you would know that the Phantom's name is Eric. Yes, that's right. Somehow it doesn't have the same Super ring as Phantom. Super nerds will refer to him as Eric. Yeah, <laughs> It's I never know. mentioned in the musical. No, it's not. It's only mentioned. It's Eric with a K. Yes, if that that's makes right. any difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is no sort of one true source for this story, but the general gist is that at one point in the process of creating the show, Hal Prince, who had been attached as a director from the very beginning, was fired. Um, oh. So this is like pre it going on stage or anything, but basically the intention was to bring Trevor Nunn in instead. You the know, 
Um, um, and so then Trev, um, Cameron and Andrew got cold feet after Trevor Nunn's reviews for Lame Is were like bad. Like, oh, and no. so they ended up bringing um, Hal back. back and Hal agreed to come back on, but in return he negotiated a higher royalty than he previously had. Smart. And, in fact, it was much higher than most directors would normally receive. He got like 2 and 2.5% instead of yeah, like the 1%. Yeah, we got around. But, like, what a great decision on that what show. What a great decision. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, you ready for mine? Yes. According to Andrew Lowe Webber's book, Unmasked, Michael Crawford and Cameron McIntosh had a fist fight over <laughs> the Phantom singing live in The Point of No Return. Oh. So Michael Crawford didn't want to sing that live. He wanted it to be pre-recorded because he had to wear a hood and it, oh, and, right. and his, yeah, it would yeah. sound really muffled. So they literally had like a, they fought physically. That's pretty amazing. It is, isn't it? Apparently, yeah. um, according to Angela Weber, it was like out on the streets as well, like in like in the London streets. I mean, there's lots of talk also of just of Michael Crawford just being a crazy diva in general. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like people still will just tell you that, like yeah. in interviews and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's man, quite Mike, funny. Talking about the US election, Michael Crawford's such a fucking crazy yeah. psycho. <laughs> um. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, there was lots of argy-bargy about which Broadway theatre the show would go into mm. when it was um, transferred. So for a long time. Argy-bargy, eh? Yeah. Mm. Um, so there was a while they like they they planned for it to be the Majestic and they'd like sort of made the deal and everything. And then Cameron McIntosh was sort of um, really like, rethinking it and planning to go into the Martin Beck Theatre, which is now the Al Hirschfeld. When Look, I'm Martin Beck. <laughs> where the, when Moulin Rouge currently is. Um, the thing was, so it's only 1,200 seats in the Martin Beck, um, whereas the Majestic was almost 1,700 seats. Oh, yeah. Um, and they wanted that sort of more intimate experience because the theatre in um, on, in London I think is about 1,100. It's quite yeah, small right. as well. Um, but in the end sort of financial sense one out Um, and the decision to have that 455 extra seats has added up to like hundreds of millions of dollars over the years. Even just like the majestic theatre, you know. Yeah. 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 Shit, that's a lot of money, hey. All right. um, On Broadway, as I mentioned, there are 10 fog and smoke machines working their butts off every show. Yeah. I don't know how the singers do it. Because I hate that shit yeah. when I sing. Like it's so drying on in your yeah. mouth. But uh, 10. That's insane. Imagine the sound of it too. Well, they must be good ones, I guess. They must be. But also like the orchestra is playing for really the entire That's time. True. But yeah. That's true. Your turn. Um, so Angela Weber had originally approached Jim Steinman. Um, who many would know from the songs of Meatloaf um, to write the lyrics, but he was working on a Bonnie Tyler album at the time, so he couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, he then started working with Alan J. Lerner, who wrote many famous shows with Frederick Lowe, including Brigadoon, Paint Your Wagon, Camelot, and My, Fair, and My Fair Lady. It's just beautiful. Beautiful, thank but, you. But um, Alan J. Lerner fell ill um, and was unable to continue. Um, there's even like, Possibly like Masquerade, for example, they say like he actually probably did quite a bit of, I read but it's, that. it's uncredited. Yeah, I read yeah. that. Um, so Richard Stilgo was then the original lyricist of the show, which we mentioned um, you were talking about before, and he had actually been working on it for quite some time when he was replaced by Charles Hart. So the Sidmonton production was just Richard Stilgo. Like Charles Hart wasn't involved at that point. Yeah, right. So he's now, so it's credited as like book by 
um the two of them yeah, like Angela cool. and Weber and and Richard um Stilgo. Richard Stilgo but yeah um so Jeez. he was like the lyricist and then was replaced yeah yeah man yeah I got a good one for you did you know so um I can't remember where I saw it but there was like a scheme at some stage during the Broadway production where they were like naming props involved in the show so okay. each like each of the major props in the show has like a name yeah uh the chandelier yes, on Broadway is actually named Ruthie too yeah after how Prince's assistant Ruth Mitchell I loved that and the one in London's Ruthie one yeah yeah I love it I wrote it down only because of my name well yeah yeah and we call her Ruthie yes so. Um, so to begin with, Equity in America wouldn't approve Sarah Brightman to play Christine as they wanted an American in the yeah. role. They would approve Michael Crawford because he was considered like a star of international international stature but not Sarah Brightman. And Andrew Lloyd Webber basically said if she wasn't allowed, then Phantom wouldn't be going to Broadway. So in the end they reached an agreement that when Aspects of Love, which was due to be his next show, opened in London, an American would play one of the lead roles there. Yeah, which right. they did. I think two of the women were both. American yeah, right. over in, in the UK. So it was kind of like a, a switch. Jeez, that's yeah. some nice spousal loyalty. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Because it's not it's not like she was so amazingly perfect for the role vocally, you know. Like yeah. I know it was written for her, but yeah. 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 She's a bit meh. Yeah. Um, did you know that every actor who portrays the Phantom on Broadway has a mask custom made? from a mould of his face. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course. It was only when I read it I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and my final one, yeah. we, we talked about the Ken Hill Phantom. We did. Um, but I thought I would mention that so, like, the reason that that could happen was because, the, like, the novel was in the public domain in the United Kingdom. Ah. So that's why there could be sort of, like, two, two. versions. Yeah. But in the US um, there is also, of course, another musical just called Phantom, music and lyrics by Maury Eston and a book by Arthur Copet. And they had written the musical Nine together, which is obviously yes. a, a very famous musical. Um, so they had the rights from the LaRue estate in the US and, like, had been writing it for, like, a long time before Andrew Lloyd Webber was. And they had been raising money for it to go to Broadway when the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical became a hit in the oh, UK. Wow. So all the investors backed out. Of course. So, like, that musical, um, like, it was shelved for some years in America. It was finally produced, I think, professionally in 1991 in America. But, like, has since received over a 1,000 productions around the world. Like, it's it's done quite a bit in, like, it's, amateur. It's not bad. Yeah. it's. I mean, he, he can write a song, that's for yeah. sure. Maury Eston, yeah. I remember listening to it, like, a long time ago and not really making the correlation between the stories until yes. a little later and being like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And people say it's actually a, a better adaptation in a lot of ways yes. of the book. I think it's truer to the book. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. That's my last fun fact. That's awesome. Yeah. Should we talk about gateway songs? Well, I've got a few talking points first. Talking yeah. points? Huh. Yeah. Well, let us talk. So I wanted to know what you think about these sort of claims about Andrew Lloyd Webber stealing melodies from places. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, a lot of these things have been settled, but I think, well, I actually don't know the particulars. You'll probably have them written down, but yeah. there, are, there have been quite a few claims that there was um, some stealing of melodies. And yeah. I think one, I I do th I think it's true because I don't believe that Angelo Weber is that clever. Like I think he's definitely highly derivative. Maybe not on purpose though. Mm. Like I don't think he's malicious. No. But um, I liked that one of the claims I think he countered with 
actually know you stole that song from Joseph. Yes, yeah. I actually, um, I don't have the details of that one, but I did read that I one. Read, it, I can't remember which song it was. So someone accused him of stealing a song yeah. for Phantom and then he counted and was like, no, actually you stole that from yeah. me, from Joseph. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. But one of them, like we don't know the details, but it was settled out of court, one yeah, of the Yeah, so claims. that's the one with Pacini's estate. That's right, yeah, so the, Oh, yeah, from a, the opera. There's a two-part passage in Music of the Night that closely resembles a similar phrase first heard in the aria, um, Kelo Che Tassette from Kay. La Fanciulla del West. Yes. Um, which is one of Pacini's opposite. Yeah, it was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. I found it fascinating that that's not in um, public domain. Yeah, it's um, – operas are weird like that. Yeah. Like I think there's uh, – it's not the same as books. Because I always thought though like, for example – you know, like a lot of Baz Luhrmann stuff, mm. like like in uh, Moulin Rouge and in um, different things. Like he has often written lyrics to like operatic, like classical music. Mm. You know what I mean? But is he still like, like has he still credited them? Maybe that's it. Like is maybe it different it's to if do you with just try them. and try and yeah. write it off as your own. Like maybe that's the problem. Yeah, that could well be it. Yeah. But I also just think like, yeah, if something is in the public domain and you can do that, then I don't think it's this that much wrong with it. Yeah. I look and like with everything, like uh, we do a whole unit at school about the music of John Williams and how, mm. how like a lot of people call it plagiarism a lot of the time. But really, I just think it's like, it's just very derivative. Yeah. It's just very derivative. Yeah. And these composers are highly influenced by certain other composers or what they're listening to at the time. Yeah. And so like, well, whatever. I know it's like, yeah. What is it? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, and I get the like, well, an rather than earning a lot of money from this. So I get yeah. that. Like when, but it always feels like when money's involved, then people mm, actually think there's very a problem true. with it. So very yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and But then I did want to mention this other bit because this quote is excellent. But former Pink Floyd vocalist and bassist Roger Waters has claimed that the signature descending, ascending halftone mm. chord progression from Phantom's, Phantom's title song was plagiarised from the bass line of a track on the 1971 Pink Floyd album Metal called Echoes. Mm. He avoided taking legal action saying, life's too long to bother with suing Andrew fucking Lloyd Webber. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's my tattoo. Yeah. That's it. You're not getting the Stephen Sondheim Sunday. I love that um, Patty Lapone didn't take that advice, yeah, did she? That's right. She does have the Angeloid <laughs> Rubber Memorial um, pool, pool, though. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is. Um, oh, yeah, the actors. Yeah. So in 2011, George Lee Andrews learned his con- contract was not being extended after being in Phantom for 23 years since mm. the show opened. Um, he had understudied and played both Monsieur, Monsieur Andre and Furman in that time. Um, side note, he was actually replaced by his son-in-law. Ouch. It was, no, well, he was quite happy about that, I think, right. um, when it happened. But, yeah, isn't that amazing? That's crazy. So I wanted to know if you think that there – I think this is a really, like, tricky topic, but do you think that there should be sort of set amounts of times, like, someone can be in a show? Like, certainly there's the fear of shows going stale, right? Yeah. Um, See, I think, like, it's hard, it's hard to say that this should have been thought of because, like, a show had never run this long before. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and he says that in interviews. Yeah. Like, he was actually quite – um, fine with it in yeah. a way. Like I don't think he would have quit. No. But it well, was... see, that's the thing is that most performers would, would be like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. I'm going to go on to the next thing. Yeah. But I understand for some people it's like this is their day job. Yeah. So and off they go to their day so that's job. that's sort of the thing is it's like don't performers also deserve job stability to yeah. some degree and then it's like 
but how do you sort of measure yeah. how fresh or how stale, you know, a show is? Well, that's and- it. In like 23 years, there's a lot that's probably you're not the same product that you auditioned with. Mm. So like how how much do they, how much responsibility do they owe, yeah. you know, to really keep you on or yeah. – because I, I feel like there probably should be clauses in contracts that, like, mm. you at least have to re-audition well, so for your in this role case, Yeah, that's probably true. So in like this that. case it was like um, it was like a six-month contract that um, being would like get renewed. re-renewed. So it had been renewed something like 40 times yeah. when, um, when he did it. But it was interesting because there were there was an actress that was in Cats the entire time, yeah. the entire 18 years it ran. Wow. Um, there's a woman who's been in Chicago for probably that long. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it. It's yeah, it's, it's just crazy. too long to do one yeah. show, but like, okay. I just sort of feel like if there isn't going to be stability guaranteed, then it's like, well, then the pay has to yeah has to reflect, reflect that. that definitely. Yeah, sort of, but I, I mean, know. that's that's a much more yeah um, endemic problem. I, I'd say like of yeah. the entire performing arts industry. Yeah, there's no yeah. job security anyway. Even exactly. if you get a job in Phantom, that's right. <laughs> Um, I really liked this quote about the show from an article in The New Yorker by Adam Gopnik and I just thought it it actually is kind of also what we've been talking about. Um, The show manages to be both absolutely terrible and sort of great. (laughs) The action makes no sense. It takes forever to get the story going. The characters are made of cardboard and the music is made of bits and pieces. But theatre is brutally binary. It either works or it doesn't and no one with a fair mind and a taste for the theatrical can deny that this show works. I just thought that that was so spot on. It's exactly how I feel. I thought it was so spot on. I was like, I've got to say that. It's exactly how I feel. Yeah. That's really well put. And what I I just wrote this note today because what I've been thinking about a lot is the fact that you and I were born um, in the heyday of the spectacle musical. Yeah. So growing up, that's a lot of what was popular. Yeah. And it didn't really impress us because that's what musical theatre was. So I think it's partly for me, like as an adult, why I've fallen in love with a lot of smaller shows, Mm. but it's also why I think it's harder for us to understand the appeal of these shows when they were Literally, like that was for, it. for everyone else, that was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. Yeah, but for us, it was like, eh. Exactly. So I've been thinking about that a lot as well. Like, mm. like, yeah, for us, it's like, yeah, that's what that's what musicals were. Mm. But for them, it's like, oh my god, like yep. the curtains are being ripped away, and you know, and the it's chandeliers so coming down on the stage. And oh my god, we haven't even talked about the chandelier falling because it's. I think that is so true. Like. That none of that is none of that is interesting to us. No, like the the chandelier falling on the audience or on the stage is like okay. Yep. Yes, and the also chandelier because falls either, especially in. in that thirty odd years, like technology has changed so much in terms of what's like impressive on yeah. stage that now that is just not that impressive. Yeah. Whereas back then it would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. Hey, I forgot to write this fun fact down, but apparently like when the, you know, the boat, like yeah. is usually, it's like motorized obviously. So usually it's like remote controlled operated by someone off stage. Yeah. And in the beginning of the run, it was like, it was wireless obviously. And the signal would get picked up by like taxis. Oh yes. Like outside the theater. So then yeah. it would like malfunction and shit. Yeah. I also read a, a fun fact that was like, um, this was in New York when um, like a lot of politicians and like heads of state and stuff were coming to see the show and the Secret Service have to come and do like, like oh, if a, a president check. comes, yeah. a Secret Service has to come and do checks and stuff like that. And they were saying that sometimes it's the same, like police frequencies outside um, would come just so you're aware, like it might interfere with our like electronics. Yeah. And the Secret Service basically looked at them and were like, don't worry, we're on a different channel. Like, <laughs> like the Secret Service were just like, it won't be a problem. Don't worry, <laughs> we're on a whole other level. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they should be. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you could just tap into a secret service radio. Yeah. 
hilarious. I thought that was, yeah. That's funny. But yeah, yeah, the chandelier, there is a, a clip on YouTube, which I haven't linked to, but if you really love the chandelier, look it up. Falling, it's just right? all the, and it's like the different speeds and yeah. everything. Some of them are so awkwardly slow. Yeah. And people start screaming and you're like, but what is there to worry about? This yeah. Gently lowering chandelier. I, I mean, you get it. The spectacle of something flying like that. Yeah. Out into the auditorium is like, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly, eh. exactly. Eh. Shall we talk gateway songs? Ready. Yeah. Okay, my first one is Masquerade. Yeah, fair. I think it's the best song in the show. Okay. It's my favourite. It's a great ensemble number, lots of fucking cymbals just crashing all the time. Love that shit. Get it into you. Masquerade. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I do love Masquerade. I think it's um, – Well, think we've- for me because it's like – the, being in that opera is the best part of the show for me. Yeah. So that typifies like that I love all the fake the people on stage in Masquerade. Yeah, see, most of it yeah, is just Yeah, because it's not that big a cast. No, so, so then they have all these mannequins. Of, it's hilarious. Yeah. Once you once you know that if you see a picture of Masquerade happening, it's very clear yes. that there are a bunch of mannequins on yep. stage. I love it's that. That's great. Um, yep, go on. Oh, tell, you want me to Yeah, tell? do okay. all of yours now. Uh, well, Music of the Night, of course. Yep. Boring. And then think of me. Musically and thematically, it's right on brand for the show. Yeah. And I think it's like the best Christine song. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I prefer it to Wishing. Definitely. So, yeah, yeah those are my three. What yep. have you got? So, I also have Music of the Night. Of course. Uh, boring. Number one. Mm. I do have Phantom of the Opera because yeah. it's iconic. Yeah. Um, and it's the title song. Yeah. And then I have All I Ask of You, which I do think is a beautiful love song. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I think if I were to listen to that, I would think the musical is much better than it is though. <laughs> so if I'm talking gateways. <laughs> I'll also let you know that on Spotify there is the 25th anniversary recording. Listen to that. Sierra Bogus is so good. So good. And Sweet Rum In. Sweet Rum In. And, and the original cast recording with Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman. Um, I So I've linked to both of those. I refuse to link to the film soundtrack, but it is on there. Mm. <laughs> Because don't but listen to that. But there is no point linking to it. No, God no. <laughs> Gerard Butler, I don't know. Did they did they get him to sing before? Because it does feel like they were like, you can sing, right? In yeah, you get. but it's like at least test his range, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, just give him some lessons. I don't know. There were so yeah. many, so many decisions, but so many decisions were made. Yeah. It wasn't just one bad decision, Ruth. Yeah. It was so many. Yeah. Oh. Well, I hope um I hope you've all enjoyed listening to us talk about <laughs> Phantom. I think I think. You know, I think you're right. I think we 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 think it's both great and bad. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's both of us have that opinion about it. And we lo- we okay. like and, and don't like different things about the show. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. But I think we have the same opinion of it. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Next well, week we're back to doing different shows each. Yeah, good. <laughs> Does and that then mean in I ten do, episodes, I have to do a hundred percent of the research. Yes, you do. Oh, I'm no. afraid so. I'm afraid so. Luckily, I'm a bit healthier. <laughs> yes, no more vomiting. No more vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> um, on Thursday we'll have a new mixtape for you. Yeah, listen into that and please like and subscribe. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. You can send us an email at myfavoritemusical at gmail.com uh, and you can have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.